All right. Well, thank you for being here. It's Family Day weekend, and uh, um, it's great to see as many of you here as uh, are able to be. So we are talking today about uh, the rich farmer. And some of you might be looking at this slide and say, well, I guess I can uh, just relax for a while because I'm not rich and I'm not a farmer. However, I think that there are a lot of good lessons in here for us. Um, Regardless of your net worth or your occupation, um, it's possible that we could all have some greed and not have as much generosity. And greed is a pretty standard and usual uh, human feeling many times in our lives, regardless of how much money we actually have. So let's talk for a minute about what is greed, and let's see if this is going to work. Which way shall I point it? There we go. Good. So greed is essentially an attitude towards wealth and material possessions. And so I put a dictionary definition up here that I thought was good. A selfish and excessive desire for more of something, such as money, than is needed. So really, if we think of antonyms or what's the opposite of greed, we are thinking of generosity or temperance. So greed is really more of something than what you need, and you keep thinking you need more and more. And if we think of it, Jesus had strong words about greed and the love of material possessions. It's mentioned many times. Um, And what Jesus teaches really about material possessions is contrary to what the world tells us, right? Like, I was just thinking, we get the Toronto Star. We still get one um, paper version, but I look online as well. And you have an article, and then you have ads, right? Um, And you think of all the times we're bombarded with ads telling us we need a big and better TV, we need a better couch, we need better blinds, we need um, fur coats, uh, everything. We need a new house, a new kitchen, and you go and you look at your kitchen and go, yeah, I need a new kitchen. Um, But we are bombarded, and the world says this will make us happy. If we have these things, this will make us happy. Jesus says exactly the opposite. He said, these material things are not going to make you happy. They don't, they don't, uh, if you crave after them, that's not a kingdom perspective. That's not what I want. So let's just see what Jesus had to say about wealth and greed through the parable of the rich farmer. Judy's going to read uh, Luke 12, 13 to 21 that has the story. Thanks, Judy. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, 
This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Thank you, Judy. So Jesus tells this parable in response to something that just happened right there in the crowd. And this brother, um, we don't know whether he was the younger brother and um, what traditionally happens um, for, for uh, the Israelites would be that the older brother gets double the inheritance. We don't know whether this other brother was trying to cheat him. What we do know is that the rabbis were the ones that would settle these disputes um, traditionally because they had an intimate uh, understanding of the scriptures. And so this man, I guess, thought that Jesus could solve this for him. But Jesus immediately saw the greed in this man's heart. And I, I wonder if he also saw the greed in the way he said it and just in the look in his face and recognized the greed. And Jesus had no interest in the earthly monetary pieces of things, but he had every interest in this man's heart and in the, the hearts of the people that were, that were there in the crowd, which apparently numbered in the thousands. So he decided, he, first of all, he says, take care, protect yourself against the least bit of greed Life is not defined by what you have, even when you have a lot. So then he tells the story. And, you know, Jesus did tell parables so that it would be relatable to the audience and that they could think even more about those concepts. You know, if you hear a story, you're more likely to remember that than just facts. And so Jesus told the story of the rich uh, farmer. And when you think about this story, like if we think about the actual content, there's no crime, there's no distortion, there's nothing wrong that this man did. When you think of it from an earthly perspective, he had a lot of crops, he couldn't store them, and so he thought, well, I've got to build another barn, more barns, Uh, something's got to happen, I don't want to waste this. And so from a worldly perspective, there's really not a problem. But the problem is the greed in his heart. And there's three problems, actually, that the man ignored God, he ignored others, and he ignored eternity. And so we're going to look at these three problems. So first of all, the farmer ignored God. So the parable starts off by saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. And so it's almost like an accident, right? It doesn't seem like he put more fertilizer down or whatever he did. Um, It was obvious that God gave this increase, and yet the man didn't acknowledge God's part in this at all. He didn't think about the fact that God was in charge of the weather, God was in charge of the crops, and ultimately God was in charge of his life. And Jesus explains in verse 21 that the focus on self and this life of ease that he was looking for leads to poverty with God. And he says, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So in other words, at the end of your life, if you're living for yourself without thought of God or others, you have really nothing of of eternal value at the end of your life. That's really sad, actually. 
nothing of eternal value. So the farmer ignored others. He was self-centered and inattentive to the needs of others. And if you even look at this picture, there are those men in the field, right? What do I do with this extra that I have? It seems pretty obvious to us. One commentator said, Some interpretations of this abundant harvest point to the kingdom and the good life intended for the community, which requires the right use of wealth. I think that's so interesting and also sobering. So God gave this increase for the good and the benefit of the community. And what did the farmer do? Stored it up for himself. Only thought of himself. Is that not really sobering to you? I was thinking about the fact that there were even some Jewish laws around that. If you think of the story of Ruth and Boaz, do you remember that story? And Boaz had a field, and uh, Ruth, who was a distant relative, ended up gleaning in the field. And when Boaz found out, he said to his workers, leave extra for her and protect her. So he was really doing what scriptures told him to do and laws told him to do, but also in his heart, obviously a totally different man than this farmer uh, in our parable today. James 5, 1 to 4 is particularly relevant to this parable, and I'm going to read it for you. And it says, now listen, you rich, rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. I think that's so powerful. The cries of those harvesters who aren't getting of the abundance is reaching the ears of the Lord Almighty. He hears our cries. So the farmer ignored others. The farmer ignored eternity. He failed to... Uh, plan for life after death. He sought security in his possessions. It's interesting because as I read commentaries about this parable, it says this is the only New Testament parable in which God appears as an actor in the narrative. Isn't that interesting? You think of the others and God doesn't actually appear by name in those parables. And in this one, he does. So, you know, you think, what What is it that's so important here? And maybe Jesus wanted to emphasize the importance of the message that God is in control of life and death and that material possessions don't have any value in the kingdom, any value in eternity. Or is it just that the farmer's greed and self-indulgence is so offensive to God that he has to play a part in this story. The cries of the harvesters have reached his ears. So God says, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? And when I've read this parable, I've often thought that he said, you fool. But then I realized he could have been saying, you fool, in just such a sad voice, right? That this man was so greedy and just thinking about his himself and not thinking about God, not thinking about others. And Jesus, maybe, or God, so sad 
that this man was just caught up in this worldly materialism. So, you know, Jesus tells parables so that it's relatable to us. And I thought about this, and I thought, well, you know, we don't have farmers. I don't think, is anyone a farmer? I don't think so. Ava's a farmer. Okay, we have gardeners. Yes, Ross, that's true. Ross has been gardening. So this is relevant to Ross and Ava. Um, It is relevant to all of us. But I thought, well, we aren't all Toronto businessmen, but I thought that what we could do is maybe uh, I made up a parable that is maybe a little bit more what we might see. And so Jen has um, been willing to read that for us. So James will give her the microphone and Jen will give us a parable. Okay, the greedy Toronto businessman. An entrepreneur and business owner of a private company with 50 employees, most of whom earned only minimum wage, launched a new product that was hugely successful. The company earned over $20 million in the first year of this new product being on the market. With the unexpected profits from this product, the man decided to buy a new luxury car, a new boat and trailer, and a truck to pull the boat trailer. His current house only had a three-car garage, so he decided that he would buy a large cottage in Muskoka that had room to house all of his new equipment. The man decided that he would sell the company and then invest his money so that he could retire and enjoy his anticipated life of leisure. Wow, this will be amazing. No work and all play. Freedom 55, he said to himself. After making all of his purchases, the man had a massive heart attack and died. God said to him, you have been so foolish. Your life is over and you have nothing eternal to show for it. Thank you, Jen. That's maybe a little bit more what we might see in this day and age. And I thought Jeffrey would be proud of me because I urbanized it and I made it in Toronto. Um, And now he'll be mad at me on calling him out. But anyway, (laughs) in this same instance, this businessman ignored God, ignored others, and ignored eternity. So no matter what story we think we relate more to, um, the same principles apply. This uh, comic was in the Toronto Star on Friday, and it gave me a a laugh, and it's relative uh, to our topic today, so I thought I'd share it with you. She says, uh, okay, let me get this straight. Those bills you paid a month ago are due every month? And I thought, um, (laughs) I I, I had a laugh because... um, I'm the shopper in the family, and Dale's the guy who pays the bills. And um, we have to have chats once in a while. Um, And I have to say, I come before you talking about greed, and and I'm in no way perfect. I I love to shop. Um, And uh, I, I need to be careful, and I need to be thoughtful as I do that. Um, I have more than what I need in terms of clothes and food and housing. Um, I'm extremely grateful to God for this. And Dale and I strive to be wise with what God has given us and responsive to the needs that God puts before us. Um, So I'm trying, but I'm not perfect. And uh, God has to teach me in this area um, as he needs to teach all of us. So let's talk about key messages for us regarding living life generously and not uh, living life in a greedy or self-absorbed manner. 
So first of all, these are going to mirror the uh, parable ones about what he forgot. We can't ignore God. Don't ignore God. Be conscious of and thankful for God's care for you. So the Bible warns us uh, that money and material possessions can be obstacles, actually, for salvation and life with God. We need to constantly evaluate what's coming first in our lives and what our attitude is towards our possessions and the money that comes to us. Do you remember the story of the rich man who came to Jesus and he said, what do I need to do to gain eternal life? And Jesus said to him, well, you need to obey the commandments and he lists them. And then the man said, well, I've obeyed those. What else do I have to do? And Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard of this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. So it is difficult. This lure of wealth and material possessions is very strong. Luke 16, 13 says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I got to thinking about, well, what does it mean to serve money? Um, It certainly means that we're going to constantly be striving for more. Ecclesiastes 5.10 says, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This, too, is meaningless. If you're striving after getting more, getting those, you know, new curtains and your bank account bigger and all of that, you're not going to be satisfied. Um, Now, there is a point where you need to get a certain amount of money to live, to be healthy and safe, and that's very important. Um, But beyond that... Um, we need to be very, very careful. It's interesting to me that um, I like research. Um, I like to see what is proven um, in sort of the, uh, the world around us. And so about a year and a half ago, I picked up this time book, The Science of Happiness. And it's a very interesting read. It's not like reading a scientific paper. It's like they summarize everything for you. So it's lovely. And there's a chapter in here that says, can money buy happiness? And I just want to read a couple things from it. The new science of happiness starts with a simple insight. We're never satisfied. We always think if we just had a little bit more money, we'd be happier, says Catherine Sanderson, a psychology professor at Amherst College. But when we get there, we're not. Indeed, the more you make, the more you want. Isn't that exactly what Ecclesiastes just told us? Once you get basic human needs met, a lot more money doesn't make a lot more happiness, notes Dan Gilbert, a psychology professor at Harvard. So even science is telling us that, uh, not just the Bible. And I find this actually really interesting. Um, I always like to marry science and what the Bible says. I I think it's very exciting, actually, when that happens. Um, The article, anyway, goes on to talk about spending time with people is what makes us happy. Relationships and experiences with people rather than things, 
according to science, will bring you happiness. And certainly the Bible points to relationships as well, doesn't it? The other thing, there's another interesting article in here about being part of a faith community. And it talks about the benefits um, of being part of a faith community and all that that brings. And generally, people in a faith community are happier. Happier because they believe in life beyond death, because they have a group that supports them. Um, And their emphasis isn't on wealth. Um, It's on other things. It's on those relationships. So I think that's always neat. I think the other thing under this point about not ignoring God is a reminder that the God is the owner of the world and everything in it. And all we have is ultimately from him, right? Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. Even what we sang today, a recognition, we sang, for from him are all things and to him are all things. That's what we sang this morning. From him are all things. Psalm 50 says this, For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the insects in the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all that is in it. And Haggai too reminds us as well, The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. Everything in this world belongs to God. Anything that you have in this world is really a gift from God. The owner of this world, God, is going to give gifts to you and he'll provide for you. And it's interesting because putting this parable into a context, after uh, the parable, Jesus encourages disciples to cast all their care on God. He says in Luke 12, 29 to 31, and do not set your hearts on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all these things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Make God the priority. And one other verse, and I'm reading this in the message because I thought it was so neat. James 1.17 says this, Every desirable and beneficial gift comes out of heaven. The gifts are rivers of light cascading down from the Father of light. Isn't that neat? I just think that's so neat. These gifts you have are, what does it say, rivers of light cascading down from the fathers of light. Acknowledge God, what he's done in your life, what he's provided for you day to day. So, of course, we can't also ignore others. We need to be attentive to the needs of others. We're commanded to use any of our abundance to bless others. So, I mean, I, I want to point out that having money in abundance does not necessarily equate to greed. It is about our attitude toward wealth and, and what we're doing with it. Are we acknowledging that it comes from God and looking at how we need to use it? You know, when you have more than what you need, you have to make all sorts of choices. It's often difficult to figure out the appropriate balance of keeping and giving, spending and saving. What am I supposed to do? Even from a worldly point of view, that's difficult. But when you're a Christian, it's, there's even more to think about. The fact that if you give everything away, you become that person that we need to help. So what are we supposed to do? God, it seems, does allow some people to have in abundance, but that comes with a big responsibility. 
We do see uh, examples of God utilizing wealthier people throughout the Bible, and thinking of some examples are the women who supported Jesus. You think of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, this family that were friends of Jesus, and many, many times Jesus stayed at their home. Um, He was provided for by that family. Um, You think about the fact that uh, there had to be people with bigger homes to have the gatherings for early Christians, enough that had extra food to give to others. So I'm not excusing it. Um, Again, I, I constantly ask God what I should be doing. But it is necessary to have people with some extra so that these things can continue. And even you think of the ministry of churches as well. Um, Ian is going to read two verses for us that talks about the responsibility that we have if we have money in abundance. So thank you, Ian. Luke twelve forty eight, For everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. 1 Timothy six seventeen through 19 Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of that life that is truly life. Thanks, Ian. Take hold of that life that is truly life. And that is just what he's saying, be rich in good deeds, generous, willing to share, all of those things. And you think of the first verse that Ian read. From everyone who has been giving much, much will be demanded. God is entrusting you with what he's given, and we have a big responsibility for that. So the fault or danger is not in the possessions themselves, but in how tightly we're holding on to them and the use we make of them or refuse to make of them. It's not the amount. It's the attitude. And there are so many needs in this world that it can be overwhelming, right? Like, don't you sometimes feel overwhelmed with the needs in this world? I was reading um, uh, an article called The Face of Hunger, And they said that over half a million people live in poverty in Toronto. Half a million people. It's a lot to think about. It can be very overwhelming. And if we have abundance to share, how do we know how much to give and who to give to? Giving to organizations, giving to individual people, giving to this church maybe in their efforts to... Um, you know, provide. What do we do? And this has overwhelmed me at times, um, but God has said to me that he would very clearly show me step by step what he wants me to do and what he wants Dale and I to do. And so I take comfort in that fact that all comfort and responsibility that God will show me and that like. I can't solve all those problems. I'm a problem solver. Are there other people that are problem solvers? Like, I just like things fixed. 
But I can't fix this problem. But God is saying to me, you can just do what I ask you to do. And so that's what I, that's what I try to think about. And I pray about it. And I try to stay in tune with God and in tune with those around me. But I'm not always um, successful at that. And sometimes I can be very self-absorbed and not really paying attention to those around me. And I want to give you one example of when I was at No Frills a couple of weeks ago. So... I was shopping at No Frills, and I had just paid for my groceries and was packing them up. And with this in mind, I was thinking about what a great shopper I was because I had price matched on many, many items, and I had spent $95, but I only spent $5 on that because I had $90 in optimum points. So I was pretty proud of myself, and I was pretty self-absorbed. And actually, I thought about the fact that I would go home and brag to Dale again uh, about the fact that I only spent $5 to get $95 worth of groceries. And I was so self-absorbed that I didn't realize until the, the cashier said, we don't take Visa. And I looked up, and I saw uh, an older gentleman, and he was thin. And he said, "Um, but I don't have much cash on me. And he started emptying his pockets, and coins were coming out. And he said, I'm going to have to put some of these things back in my cart. Back, I won't be able to get them because I don't have enough money. And while he was still rummaging in his pockets... um, I quietly went up to the cashier and I gave her a $20 bill and I said, make sure that he buys everything that's in his cart because do you see what was in his cart? And the one thing he was definitely going to save, the hungry man dinner. And I just felt God speaking to me. You have to pay for this man's groceries. It's not terrible that I get choked up about things like that. Anyway, so I was very happy to pay for this man's groceries. I had just got $90 of free groceries. I could have actually paid for that. This man had about $15 worth of groceries. (laughs) Don't you think the cries of that man might have got to God if I had ignored that? He put it on my heart. And I'm not saying you all have to do this. If God puts it on your heart, you need to do it. I needed to do it. And I felt very ashamed of the fact I was so self-absorbed. And I was very, very glad that God had caused me to look up and to pay attention. It's really a matter of being aware of who's around us. And you can't solve all the problems, um, but God will put on your heart what you need to do. So we've talked about don't ignore God, don't ignore um, others. And the last one, don't ignore eternity. So this parable reminds us that we need to plan for life beyond death. Life is fragile and uncertain. And I was thinking about recent 
events that we've had in this world. And you think of the death of Kobe Bryant and others in that helicopter crash. You think about the hundreds that have died of coronavirus or COVID-19. You think about the lost lives and homes in the Australian wildfires. And you think about the fact that these events speak to our lack of control over death and how fragile and fleeting our lives are. And Jesus tells us, stop storing up the stuff on earth. Stop seeking after that. I read an interesting um, saying, and maybe some of you have heard of it, a hearse doesn't have a U-Haul. We can't take anything with us. We can't take anything with us, but we can build up treasures in heaven. And Ilpo is going to read a couple verses for us with regard to that. Matthew six nineteen to 21. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The second reading is from Luke twelve thirty three. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Thanks, Opal. So really, God commands us of this. Life is very fragile. You think of it, six weeks ago, all those thousand and whatever people who, um, who died of coronavirus were alive. They had no inkling that they would be going. When Kobe Bryant and others got into that helicopter, they had no inkling that their life would be over. And I place no judgment on anyone, and I don't want to scare anyone, but God reminds us of this. Our lives are in his hands. We need to be storing up treasure in heaven, and it's about having the right attitude and priorities and the kingdom perspective. Loving God and loving others is what we're commanded to do. I thought about the fact that displaying the fruits of the Spirit is evident that God's in our life, and I actually um, think it's, it's um, like that antidote for the poison of greed. If you think of the fruits of the Spirit, faithfulness, being faithful to God, self-control, that's a fruit of the Spirit, patience, goodness, gentleness, joy, kindness, peace, and love. And these fruits are the evidence that God is in our life. God as the Spirit dwelling within us. This is the evidence. And so really having God in our lives and really concentrating on living for God, loving God and loving others, will be the antidote for for any greed that we have. And so just as I conclude, I ask, you know, what is the meaning and the focus of your life? Regardless of what your income is, what's the meaning and focus of your life? Because your focus will determine your attitudes towards possessions uh, and anything in this world. So I just urge you to 
remember God, remember others, and remember eternity. Thanks.